Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fae encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. In this episode, I'll be chatting with Ken Edwards, a rune walker who works with the Northern European runes. If you don't know what runes are, they are an alphabet known as the runic alphabet. They were used by people of Northern Europe, Britain, Scandinavia, and Iceland. And the runic alphabet was used to write various Germanic languages before the adoption of the Latin alphabet. It gets kind of hairy when you research the history of runes because there's different systems depending on geographic regions, and then there's different scholars who have different theories. But the oldest runes are at least 2,000 years old. And they may be way older than that, but I'm not willing to go down all those rabbit holes at the moment. So let's just settle on they are old as fuck. Runes have a mysteriousness to them. For instance, The name rune itself has been interpreted to mean secret or something hidden, which many say indicated that the knowledge and wisdom of the runes was originally considered esoteric. I learned about runes when I was a kid because my mom had a little blue velvet bag filled with these stones that she used for divination. She would say, close your eyes and ask a question while rolling your fingers around the runes, and when it feels right to you, pull one out, and there's your answer to the question. Ken uses the runes in ways that go far, far and beyond what my mom and I ever did. He not only has an ancestral tie to them, but he also has cultivated a deep spiritual relationship with them. And because he's put in that time, he's learned to unlock profound techniques and really dig into their magic. I think that's what happens with any divination tool. My family calls it calibrating. You calibrate your divination tools like your pendulum, your tarot cards, your oracle cards, your runes by working with them sincerely over a long period of time, sincerely being the operative word. It's like that steadfast belief in their ability to reveal truths to you smushed together with sincerity and consistency of practice. That's what unlocks the magic. It's almost like you have to prove to the land of Wu that you mean it, that you'll stick around, that you'll commit to listening and trusting over and over again. I've had spooky experiences with tarot cards and pendulums, but I feel like I've yet to really open the portal to the magic of runes. I have a set of them, and I've used them lightly in my spiritual practices, but it sounds like, according to Ken, I might have been using a book that wasn't maybe the best fit for my development. Even though I'm out of practice, I thought it would be cool if I pulled a rune right before this recording. So I pulled Algie's Reversed, which I think is interesting because I just watched Hellier, best paranormal show I've ever seen. In that show, I believe Algie's is referenced. I don't know if it's referenced as Algie's, but it's not the reversed. It's upright. And that show is all about synchronicities. So I'm using a book called The Book of Runes by Ralph H. Blum. Blum? I don't know. And the line that resonates with me is, 
regardless of whether your enterprise prospers or suffers, do not be overly concerned. This sticks out to me because as somebody who's worked in the entertainment industry, I think there is this old way of making the same thing over and over again and doing it because it's profitable and because there's a bottom line and ignoring all this new and fresh content that needs to come to the surface. And I think about that with Hellier. They're really sort of redefining what the paranormal genre looks like on TV. I think of that in a smaller way about Follow the Woo. Because follow the woo is not about scaring people. I'm following wherever the phenomena, so to speak, that's what they call it in Hellier. I'm following it wherever it takes me. And there's something to be said about just following that process and not knowing if it's profitable. It's doing it because you're curious. And because that curiosity comes from a place that's beyond the paradigm that we work within every day, that we live within every day. So that's what stuck out to me. I'll read it one more time. Maybe it means something to you, too. Regardless of whether your enterprise prospers or suffers, do not be overly concerned. You may not win, but you will never lose, for you can always learn from what takes place. Mm. Boom. Thank you, Blum. Blum, whatever your name is, sir. He's probably very dead. Anyway. Ken and I talk more about all that and the runes and shamanism and the Nornir, who are like the fates responsible for shaping the course of our destinies. We talk about taking personal responsibility with our magic and a bizarre trip he took to Ireland once and more. So hold on to your butt. It is woo time. I belong to a shamanic guild for Northern practitioners. It's called Cauldron Farms. And I'm just going to be like in the forest for a week, not doing well, doing a lot, but it's my time. So it's going to be nice. That yeah. sounds amazing. Cauldron Farms. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah. Tell me about that. So Raven Caldera is a mentor for me within the Northern Traditions Shamanic Guild. It's really a group of people who we all practice the same Northern Traditions and as shamans or as energy workers or rune readers, whatever, there are certain things that shamans do as healers for their community. And this group of people, we just share the same core Northern traditions belief system. There aren't very many of them. And sometimes Raven can be taboo sometimes in, in these circles. But the thing I connect to most, I believe, is the concept and the acceptance of personal gnosis within the tradition and within that group. It's very hard to reconstruct a shamanism or a religion that was, you know, 2000 years ago when it's been completely Christianized and in some cases Disneyfied, right? Going on <laughs> with everything happening right now with Disney trying to whatever, try to trademark Loki, Thor, like those names, like it's just, it's different and it's very hard. So that's where it comes down to our personal gnosis has to be the one thing that connects us to the knowledge that our ancestors had and gained through their own personal gnosis. When you say Northern traditions, what do you mean by that? Just so the listeners are clear. Sure. So Northern traditions, when I use the term, uh, Northern traditions refers to 
Northern European traditions, pre-Christian Europe, pre-Christianizationing of those people, pre-conquering of those people by the Christians or the the Romans, the people from the Mediterranean. So we're looking at Celtic people, we're looking at Anglo-Saxon people, we're looking at Norse people, we're looking Scandinavian, anywhere up there. So those peoples kind of up through there, the Sami people, even that would that would include. It's kind of like saying the Celts, but the Celts were a whole bunch of different tribes of people, but that got lumped into one name. So the Northern Traditions is like lumping all of those people under kind of one thing for me. For me, mostly it's the Anglo-Saxon, which connect very much to the Norse and like the Proto-Indo-European people. So like Odin comes from Woden, Wodenaz, they're they're all, it's how they've taken that and moved it and built their own relationship with that deity in the case of Odin, but they're all connected, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And Raven, you said he's taboo as a teacher of this sort of endeavor that you guys are joining in together. What's taboo about it? Is it because of the focus on the Northern traditions in general, or is it just his personality? So I believe that why some people think of him as taboo, especially within the circle of Norse or Viking or Anglo-Saxon is because he does focus so much on his personal gnosis. So he spends a lot of time journeying to the other worlds and spending time bringing back information. So the thing with personal gnosis is that it's information that you have that cannot be verified by historical record. Sometimes it can be, but a lot of times it, it isn't because it's the stuff that's missing. And within a lot of reconstructionist groups or groups such as that, people don't like that type of information. It's kind of like going to the Bible. If it doesn't say it in the Bible, it doesn't happen. It's not true. Mm -hmm. So if it didn't say it in the sagas or the Eddas or any of our historical Norse or Anglo-Saxon works, then we don't really want to look at it or even play with that information. And that's where he, I think he falls into a very taboo category, if that makes sense, because Mm -hmm. he pushes the bounds and he would be probably considered fringe for a lot of these people. And I'm okay being there. (laughs) No problem being there. Yeah. What do you guys spend your time doing there? Is it a lot of ritual work or do you do it group journeying? I don't, how does it work? So this being my first time, we'll see. Um, Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There, you know, right now, because we can't see each other or we couldn't, we have a class every two weeks. So via Zoom, which is great modern magic. So we have classes such as like herbalism classes. So we'll learn about like the nine sacred herbs. And I live in a very different place. So my local herbs are very different. So I'm going to be learning about those as well. We learn about energy cleansing, energy work. We've had classes on death working, being a death worker. We've had classes on astronomy and astrology. When I go this time, I know that we're going to spend three days in ceremony, as well as some people who are going to be initiating into a different phase of their shamanism. But then we're also going to be hopefully going to the ocean on the East Coast to do some ritual and to do some offerings to Ajir and Ron. They're the god and goddess of the ocean, basically. And there will be classes on healing with the runes, energy clearing, charging items with energy so that you can then give them a certain purpose. I'm taking my drum. So I plan on journeying while I'm there. There will be meditation. He asked me the other day, what do you want to learn? I'm like, I would like to learn everything you know about healing with the runes. Like I'm just, I want to suck that 
in. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of the next phase of my uh, progression as a rune worker, a rune walker. This is your ancestral lineage, right? So this is another place where people's opinion diverge and where the racist people tend to say, nope, you have to be white and you have to be from Northern European lineage. I think when the gods call you, the gods call you. And I don't, they don't give a fuck what color you are, but I'm very Welsh, Scottish, Irish. I don't know, picking in crayon. I'm as white as I can possibly be, except I don't have blue <laughs> eyes, but like, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't. And, and I don't really drive too well with those folks who think that it does because then they also find out I'm gay and that doesn't really work for them either. <laughs> yeah. Those yeah. are the same people that would be pissed off about you being gay. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting an idea of what camp that is. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm familiar with them. Well, it sounds like you're going to like a Hogwarts intensive. Yeah. Okay. Rune Walker. I've never heard that term. What does that mean? I made that up. Like you can be like a Runamal, which is a rune worker, but, and that's like an old term, but how I came about Rune Walker for myself was, first of all, I hate labels. I feel like they box me in and I don't like that. I'm also a psychic a healer, an empath, like all of these things. But if I were to put on my bio, like psychic medium, that immediately takes me actually out of my connection to the other world, which is the runes and my calling, which is the runes and puts me into something different. So as I'm kind of working through identifying how I want to be identified, it really just came about the runes come from the void. So Odin pulled the runes out of the void. The runes are also used by the Nornir who are like, they're similar to the fates of Greek mythology or cosmology. They carve them into the roots of the world tree, which the world tree is like the scaffolding that holds all of our different worlds and realms of existence. And that's how they manifest. So they manifest through the runes. So I work with the runes and I also walk between the worlds and I use the runes to walk between the worlds. So I kind of said it one day just in passing. I'm like, oh, I think that feels really good. So I slapped it on the back of my name and I have kept going with it ever since. And it just, it seems to fit what I do. And it it seems to be a great umbrella for being able to journey between worlds, talk to the dead, work with the runes, all of that kind of stuff. You said this was a calling for you. When did that calling come? I met Ingrid Kincaid at New Renaissance Bookstore in Portland, Oregon one day, shortly after I had moved to Portland. So this is over a decade ago. And I met her and she's the rune woman. She did a reading for me and everything just, it just felt like I had gone home, maybe is a good way to put it. So I started working with her. She's also is and was a mentor of mine and a dear friend. That is when I feel like I got the calling. And I went to college to be a high school teacher, which those kids are rough, man. They're rough. So I decided not to be a teacher, but I taught adults. And so it's always been something that I've done to be an educator, so to speak. And with the runes coming in, my calling as it has evolved over time is I want to connect people to themselves so that they can know for themselves what's right or wrong and true for them instead of just always accepting what we're being told is the right and the wrong and the true for us. You know, we're taught from a very young age to ignore our bodies 
including sexuality. And that's something that's very difficult and something that is kind of my calling with the runes is to help people reconnect to, to that. I don't like the word sovereignty, but it's probably the closest word we have. Okay. First of all, I love the name Rune Walker. It sounds like a thing and it is. And I love that you created your own name and I love that you're wanting to keep education as such an intrinsic part of your journey. And I think that's really different than a lot of the energy workers and medium psychics, all those labels that you were talking about earlier. So it's just like this big mess of labels. I don't always hear that there's this steadfast commitment to education. I love the teaching traditions. I'm really, really interested in that because I think somewhere I'm a teacher and I think everybody is in their own way, but I think some people really do well in that actual classroom environment. And I'm really drawn to that. When did you have this reading with the rune lady and how long were you a high school teacher before that? So I never actually became a high school teacher because the last time I did student teaching, actually what happened was the teacher had to leave. She said, can you teach the lesson? I'm like, in my sleep. Yes. Give it to me. I can do it. She left. The kids came in. I'm like, so one, you're not going to walk all over me like you walk all over her and you're going to listen, pay attention. That class went fine. The next class they walked in like they had already heard, right? You know, they had already heard this guy was teaching the class and blah, blah, blah. Well, they walk in, sit down. The one kid goes, I got a question. I'm like, yeah. He goes, is rainbow your favorite color? And yeah, yeah. So this was about the time Will and Grace first came out in the very beginning, right? That TV show. So Mm -hmm. it was now something being talked about. And I thought to myself, if that's what they're going to see, And that's an obstacle at this point in time to their education. It's not an obstacle that I choose to participate in, especially because at that point, I felt really vulnerable in terms of it would be very easy for someone to say something about me. And then like it would have been a witch hunt because my gay teacher looked at me wrong. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I felt like it was not going to be a safe place for me to do what I wanted to do, which was teach and educate. So shortly after that, I became an educator for Mrs. Field's famous brands. So the cookie company, the cookies. they own like eight companies at that time. So I became an adult educator for them. That worked out way better than teaching high school. So that was back in 98. Oh God, I'm so old. You know, everything that happened with the runes really came about 2009, I guess. Just real quick on that time that you were the student teacher. I totally get it. I mean, that was not, it was not safe back then. I mean, it's still not safe now in many, many places in this country and the world, but it was not a nationwide conversation. My mom is queer and she came out when I was 13. So that would have been what, 90, would have been 98. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was not a safe time. I completely understand why you made that choice. I was doing student teaching at the high school I went to And that was in rural Utah. And it definitely was not the most accepting place. You know, where do you live now? Same place. Same? Yeah. My business partner and I opened up a store called Blue Antler. Whispered Secrets and um, Hidden Wisdom was our tagline. So it's a metaphysical and spiritual store. We try to focus on the Northern traditions, things, 
such as if you've heard the term smudging, right, with smoke to cleanse something. In the Northern traditions that I walk, the term is reckoning. We had a term for that. So it's not really adopting, you know, a native term or an Eastern term. It's finding the terms that worked for my people, my ancestors, but we really try to bring forward a tradition as well as representing all the other traditions. We have Buddhist things, we have Wiccan things, we have all types of different things, but The thing that was about the store was I wanted it to be a place where people could come and know that they are safe and that they can be different and that they're not alone in being different. I think that we had really started to accomplish that, you know, it's a work in progress, but I'm pretty highly visible in our community and I'm grateful for that in terms of of, I have a lot of young people who come up to me, oh, I love your tattoo work. I love your tattoos. You know, what do they mean? And they start to share with me things and they feel safe. And I think that's the most important thing for anyone is knowing that they can be different and be safe. And that's kind of one of the main goals of Blue Antler is to provide that. I think about that a lot, you know, here in LA, there's I don't know. We did like a day of it, much to my partner's dismay. I like took her all around LA to, I think, seven metaphysical Wiccan shops. I mean, and then there was like six more Mm -hmm. you can pick and choose. And there's so many different kinds of traditions. And you just have this smorgasbord, basically. It's amazing. And, you know, we thought a lot about going back to little Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where there's not a single shop not Mm -hmm. one, and how it could be so helpful, whether it's rural or not. There are always people who are interested in this world, whether Mm -hmm. it's metaphysics or magic or whatever you call it. I mean, sometimes we're like, gosh, should we go back and bring it to people who who need those safe spaces? It's, It's amazing what you're doing, really. Thank you. It was purely selfish, not purely. One of my reasons was selfish in opening Blue Antler. I was having a hard time balancing work, family, spirituality. And so I thought if I make spirituality my work, then I will have set aside time to learn about stones and herbs and Buddhism and other things that I don't know about. And that worked. I would go into the store and I would have to learn about candle magic and the colors of the candles. And I'm big on, yeah, you should use a red one, but which one do you feel like you should use? Mm -hmm. Which color are you immediately drawn to? Then we'll go from that. Just Trust yourself more than anything. I think it's going to be interesting because I think there are more of us who are called to bring the fire home, if that's a good way to put it. So sometimes if there were, if there was like a a plague or, you know, something bad happening in the village or even just certain times of the year, they would put out the fires, come together as a, a village, build a fire, and then everyone took from that fire back to their own home hearth and relit their fire. It's a very interesting concept to say, okay, we're going to come to this fire of, it's not even new age healing because <laughs> our ancestors did herbalism. They worked with stones. They worked with crystals. And I'm not even talking about 2000 years ago. This was just a hundred, 200 years ago when they lived on their own. They didn't have a doctor. They had to know what herbs around them and what plants around them solved what problems, right? Like the stuff that we're like getting into that we're like, oh, it's herbalism and it's not new. We're just seeing a resurgence of it. So we come to this fire, right? To this class on herbalism and metaphysics and energy work. And now 
we're learning it, and then we're going to bring it back to the fires where we live. It's going to be a very important role to play for those of us who feel that calling. I love that imagery. I can see all these people, you know, with their torches and and bringing it back. It's actually very powerful imagery. And it makes me think of the mantra that I keep hearing over this past year, which is the witches are coming. The witches are coming. I think whenever we don't trust our leaders for a really long time and we don't feel connected to the OG religiosity that's happening at the time, then the witches come. That's when it's like, you know, I'm going to start to go and investigate in these other realms. They're going to get their fire. And they're like you said, they're going to bring that back to whatever their home is. One of my friends who's a brilliant therapist and a brilliant witch, she told me once, and I resisted this just like I resist the term woo, right? I don't anymore, but I used to. She said to me, I'm going to need you to accept the fact that you are a witch. (laughs) And my butt puckered and I started to probably like rock in the corner. Like I didn't know what the fuck... No, I am not a witch, you know, and if it would have come from anybody but her, I would have been like, fuck off. But I know that's kind of like accepting a label and allowing it to settle and then shirking the T-shirt that you've got from having the label just because it is a part of you. I resisted the word shaman forever because I feel like we've kind of bastardized it and anybody, anyone can be a shaman. And like, it's one of those things that I resist because I don't like what it feels like anymore. But I accepted it. I'm a shaman and I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to let go the things that I think about it and just know that that's part of who I am and and that's okay. Yeah, I understand where your friend was coming from. I think I prefer to use the word witch as sort of like an umbrella term for everybody in this world, unless it offends them, of course. To me, it's kind of like the highest form of praise. You know, it's like these are my people, or at least if they're not my direct people, these are people who are doing good work in their world. And yeah, I think that word is so interesting because, and a lot of these words, but specifically which it's a word that was derogatory, like woo, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, Mm -hmm. these are words that we're reclaiming to be like, fuck you. I'm an activist by nature. So I love that that fire again, where Mm -hmm. it's like this anti-establishment And some of that is kind of youthful in a way. I don't think that's a bad thing, though. I think it's Mm -mm. this fire of youth. Because I think a lot of people outside of the world, especially Christian aunts and uncles or relatives, are like, well, witchcraft is this like phase they're going through in high school. And I think it's really changing. There's a lot of elder witches. There's a lot of elder shamans. And it's just too big for racist, closed-minded auntie and uncle to try to figure out or explain away anymore. One of your episodes, she's a psychic medium. It was recent. I was listening to that episode (laughs) and I really started to get the feel of we're now second generation of this movement, right? Like, and it was an interesting, like not heavy, but weighty sense to it. It's like, there are these people who really did start to blaze the trail. And now we're second and third generation of this. And there is a movement and there is a forward push and there is a pressure and there is not an urgency, but an inevitability Yeah, that this is going forward. And to know that 
yeah, I connect to my ancestors from thousands of years ago, but really a lineage that we're working with right now is a very current lineage. And I'm only second generation of that moving forward. And I thought it was just such a powerful aha moment for me. So whichever episode that was, thank you for doing that episode. It's not just this frivolous little, oh, we're a witch coven here, we're a witch coven there. It's a fucking movement. And it's a movement of freedom. It's a movement of finding yourself and finding what works for you and not taking the white picket fence that we've been shown that you should go after. We're not going to do that anymore. That's old. And so it's inevitable and brilliant that this whole movement is coming forward. I just, I'm very glad to be part of it. Yeah, agreed. It is. I love that you keep using the word inevitable. You know, the activist part of me is like, well, we still do have to fight. But at the same time, the energy of these people in the movement that we're talking about is the OG intrinsic energy of the earth. So it's like in that way, it's fucking inevitable. You know, this is nature rebalancing itself. So move out of the way (laughs) or don't either way. (laughs) Yeah. Don't. I mean, that's the thing. Like you're going to get run over if you stand in front of that bus. So you can either get on the bus or you can stand in front of it and get run over. And the bus is fun. Like get on the bus. (laughs) Yeah. Like we're dancing naked out around fires and we're I don't drink anymore, but we're drinking and we're having fun. (laughs) So one of the things that the runes really exemplify is the necessity to live in the flow. For instance, if you have a river and if you want to go upstream, don't get in the river in a boat and try and paddle upstream, just walk up the thing. But if your goal is to go downstream, by all means, get in the river on a little boat and go down. It's learning to work with those energies and flows that are already there, right? So we're working with the natural ebbs and flows. For instance, women who have a cycle, a menstrual cycle, that can be immensely powerful when you figure out what part of your cycle is going to be the most energetically strong for whatever purpose you are wanting to manifest. The moon pulls at the ocean, the water comes in and the water goes out depending on the tide. There are a lot of these things that teach us to be in a natural flow. But I was reading a book the other day and I realized that man tries to make order out of chaos, what we perceive as chaos, but it's easier to live in the flow or the chaos instead of trying to order it because it's like trying to build this little dam to hold back all of this water or trying to divert a river to do what you want it to do instead of working with the water to do what you need it to do. So we try and control things way too much. And I think that's one of the lessons really for me that comes about in the runes a lot. And usually when I'm doing a rune reading for people, they have questions about their future or their current. So I asked the Nornir to help me put such esoteric concepts into a linear form. When I cast runes, I can see the past, I can see the present around you, I can see the present you, and then future. So what we tend to look at, and what I realized over time is that we're looking at patterns. If you want to harvest corn in the future, you have to have planted corn. (laughs) If you plant barley and you want to harvest corn, you're not going to harvest corn, you are going to harvest barley, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a really simple way to put it. But the concept is that our patterns are what define our future. 
So the Nornir are three giantesses, Erd Verdandi and Skuld, Erd, that which is or was, Verdandi, that which is becoming, so the moment now, and Skuld, that which must be. I like the term must be because it can't be changed. The only thing that can manifest is what's a result of your present and past action. So we keep wanting to change things. We want, will I fall in love? Oh, Jesus. First of all, if I hear that question one more time, which I totally get because I fucking ask it. I go to my psychic and I'm like, when will I fall in love again? It's just silly. But like, will I get this job? Will I be able to find a new job? Well, if your past behavior is that you don't look for a job, then no, you're not going to find a new job. That's another thing that I really like about the runes is it's, it's really about personal responsibility for your own future. Sometimes shit happens. Yes. And it's not necessarily directed at you unless someone comes up and hits you with a bat, but like sometimes shit just happens in life and that's just going to happen. Assigning it a negative or a positive because it works the same way the other way is just us trying to give meaning to the chaos because it's really hard for us to function without it unless you kind of slowly and easily work out of it. But even still, I think we won't get there until we're out of this physical incarnation. But it's one of those really interesting concepts that comes from the runes that, listen, if we really want to look at what you want in the future, you have to change how you do things now, which I feel is a very global concept at the moment, especially with how we take care of the planet, how we recycle, how we use our resources. And it's one of those things that I do see as a very central point for the youth of our nation who want change. They see the way that maybe those who are older than me have done things or even my age at the moment, but they see the way we've done them and they don't want to do them the same way. It's a big realization for people and one that some people can't handle. They want to think that their fate is out of their hands and they want to think that the things that they do are God did that for me or Satan did that to me or whatever. Instead of like, you're the one who didn't use a condom. That's how you got your STI. Like, <laughs> come on now. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> a really stupid way to put it, but it's true. Like we are the result of our actions. That's what I love about magic in general is that it's very empowering. I think that's the central theme of all of these practices. It puts the power on you instead of that God. I love the youth for fighting back against that. And they have been forever and that'll continue to be the way. I think it's funny also that you said, if one more person asks you when I'll fall in love, because that's what everybody wants to know. But it's like, well, how much are you loving yourself right now? What seeds are you planting to be able to harvest that, you know, in the future? I volunteer for an organization that helps abuse children. And we have to, on the yearly, have a training. So we had a therapist come in a couple months ago and he spoke to us about love. And I love what he said because he said, love is two things. One, a choice. And two, unconditional acceptance. So when people say, when will I fall in love? I'm like, okay, two things. Love is a choice and love is unconditional acceptance. When will I fall into a vagina or onto a penis? That's a whole different topic, right? Like, <laughs> when will I feel butterflies? When will I feel Twitterpated? When will I be wet with anticipation for sexual activity? Like, that's a whole different thing, right? Like, I think we've fucked the word love to the point where it's dead and we're just fucking a, de a dead idea <laughs> because we've created this whole disnification of what love is. Oh, it's butterflies and songbirds and I should feel Twitter pated. 
interestingly enough, I had someone tell me once and it stuck with me. If you feel Twitter pated about what we would call Twitter pated, like that butterfly fluttery feeling inside, when you meet someone, you need to do like a little self-check and make sure that's not the inside of you saying run from that person uh, instead of, oh, this I'm feeling something. So this person is evoking a feeling or an emotion in me. Oh, I should go for it. It might be telling you, get away, get away. I have a really bad picker. So that's what I'm going to start doing for myself is like, <laughs> oh, I feel Twitter page. Oh, no, fuck off. I don't need you. Like I've actually, I see the pattern in you that I've been repeating over and over. Fuck off. That's a great point. I have not been a great picker. I just love narcissists. I did when I was younger. They make you Twitter paint, right? Me too. Yeah. Yeah, they do because they're so exciting and they're so charming and they're so magnetic. Mm. That's not love. That's getting stuck on that initial feeling of Twitter patient, the butterflies. Mm -hmm. My ideas about relationships are sometimes hard for people to handle because I find it very unfair of me to put the expectation of being completely fulfilled in interpersonal relationships onto one person. For me, like monogamy was something I thought I was supposed to do. And I don't necessarily think that's the way it works for me. A lot of our hurt and pain comes from expectations that we place on other people. And we don't even tell them that we expect it. We just expect that they should know what we expect and we should get it. And when we don't get it, we get upset and unfulfilled. And, and that doesn't lead to happiness for anybody. Mm -mm. And you use this word disnification a lot that is great because I know exactly what you're saying. And wow, what a royal mind fuck Hollywood has done to us all. It's just now the idea of love is this what? No. That is not, that is not mm -hmm. love. I had to go through a number of toxic relationships and I still struggle with it. Sometimes I'm like, is it fairy tale enough? Like, I don't use that terminology, but isn't it supposed to feel like this? Snap out of it. You know, like, what do you, but no, yeah. that's not love. That's fucking TV. That's not how it works. There's no laugh track. The, there's no all these little things tied up in little packages for you at the end of the movie. No, we have now two to three, maybe four now, generations of people who were raised seeing that. I was actually talking to my friend about this the other day. I have a, another friend of ours who her therapist suggested she read the book, I Hate You, Don't Leave Me. He thought her mom had borderline personality disorder. But what he said to her was, this is interesting. Your mother has borderline personality disorder, I think. But the daughter, her behavioral patterns are that of borderline personality disorder, but she doesn't have it. So crazy, huh? That's a little bit of a mind fuck. So like, I'm not a narcissist, but because I was raised by a narcissist, this is not true. My behavioral patterns match that, but that's not really who I am. Mm -hmm. So we keep fucking each other over and over from generation to generation because we, we can't step out of the cow path and change our behavior. But I think that's where 2020 and 2021 and probably up through 2023, it's a time of deconstruction. There's a rune called Thurazaz and normally people consider it the rune of destruction or chaos. I see it as part of the process and the pattern of deconstruction and reconstruction life, death, creation, destruction. That's exactly what we're going through. I see a lot of people who are super exhausted, including me. I see a lot of people who their lives are changing 
and it's good and it's okay. Like if all you have are the pieces from the house that you currently have, if you want something new, you're going to have to take that apart and reconstruct something. I had a fucking boss who used to say, okay, here's something else for you guys to do. And we would say, oh, you know, sorry, it fell off the plate. Like there's too many things on the plate. And he would say, get a bigger plate. That's not helpful. That that behavior isn't helpful, right? That mentality isn't helpful. Like you're just going to have to do more and do more and do more. Well, our current lives are what we have. So if we want something different, we've got to deconstruct it or sometimes burn the fucker down and then move on and recreate what we want. And I believe that that's where we're at. I think everyone thought 2020 and COVID's over. And I'm like, because you're still, mm-mm. you are energetically shifted and changed. So this whole concept of getting back to the normal is not going to happen, I believe. Things will be required to shift. There's no longer a balance and we have to find that or it will find it for us, whatever the it is. I I hope we don't go back to normal. What a mess. Capitalism is a mess. Your bosses get a bigger plate is such an amazing commentary on capitalism. There it is in a nutshell. Get a fucking bigger plate. Not like, oh, maybe there's too much. We need to rework this. No, get a bigger plate. Do, do, do. Productivity, productivity. The people in this country and the world just got a year break from the plate, except for frontline workers and some other industries who had to continue on. But most people were at home. That's a long time, a whole cycle. People cannot continue on productivity, productivity, because the underlying message of that is controlling, controlling, controlling. Where's the surrendering? Where's the going back to that knowing inside of you, remembering what you're here for, all that. That's just... We don't care about that. We just got to get that bottom line. I don't want to go back to that if that's normal. When I started to think about teaching on a more national or global scale with the runes, I thought, okay, well, you need a book. You've got to write a book about the runes and then that will get you in the door. It was like, I'm going to force giving birth to something and it didn't work. I never actually finished the two books I started because that's not the story I want to tell. And I'm just doing it to get credibility. I get it. I get the process of going there. Like I thought I was on this road. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to get it published. And if it doesn't, I'm going to self-publish like, because that's the gateway to doing it. And I'm like, it took me a while to be like, no, if, and when it comes time for that, it'll be because It was a natural progression and a natural story I'm trying to tell, not because I have to do it so that I can pad my resume so that then I can teach at PantheaCon or I can be invited to teach here and there. Actually, I don't even fucking care about that anymore. What I care about is what I started to care about in the beginning, which was the runes can be very transformational for people and that the wisdom held in them is important and inspirational and transformational and hard and easy and drunk and sloppy sex and all of this shit all wrapped up into one because it deals with being in your body. But it's something that I believe and I've seen can change people. And it's not me writing a book that gets on the fucking bestseller list or ends up in a bargain bin, who cares? It's not that. It's actually just doing the work. It's not being a guru. People say to me, they've said to me in the past, they're like, so 
I want to learn from you. I'm like, okay, well, let's learn from yourself. So our first lesson is tell me, I'm going to show you something and you are going to tell me where in your body you feel that or what your first thought or emotion. And most people can't get out of their head. I feel it up here. I'm like, okay, do you feel it anywhere in your body? No. Okay. Step one, I need you to go eat something. I need you to diddle yourself or flick your bean or whatever we're going to call it. And I need you to maybe have a, a drink and I need you to feel the sun on your skin. And I need to, you to feel the dirt between your toes and splash water on your face because you are not in your body. And that is where our wisdom is held. Our wisdom is not held in our brain that cannot compute things as fast as we would like them to. Our brain is our only one way of knowing. For me, intellect is one way of knowing. Your emotional way of knowing, which sits for me right around my heart space, and your instinctual way of knowing, which sits in your lower gut. And that really does tie a lot to our sexuality, our creativity, our spirituality sits there. It doesn't sit on our third eye in our head for everyone. There are those three ways of knowing. And... I need people that I'm teaching or that I'm working with to learn to access those ways of knowing, right? Like most of the time when people say, trust your gut, it's because something's bad for you or wrong. Instead of trust your gut when something's right. When something's right, we say, trust our heart. Like, oh, your heart will tell you if you're in love, like (laughs) blah, blah, blah. But we go to that one, right? Because it's emotion. And men are very cut off from our emotional way of knowing because we're not actually taught how to listen to it, to interpret it. Same for instinctual, right? Like all of that excess of energy, it gets built up and it becomes rageful. But rage rage is just a whole lot of pent up energy that we don't know how to deal with, I think. Mm -hmm. And that is very oversimplifying that concept. And I, I completely am aware of that at the moment. So quick story. I was doing readings at like a Samhain Halloween fair and I was working with a woman and all I wanted her to do was most of us breathe heavy in our chest. So when we breathe, our chest expands and, and contracts, but to help access our emotional and our instinctual centers of knowing we need to deep breathe. So I tell people, breathe down into your ball sack or breathe down outside of your vagina. Breathe so deep in your body that you're expanding all of that energy through your sexual organs and then breathe out and bring it all the way back up and through. So I had her inhale and she started to breathe through her gut. I had her, it helps if you place your hand down there so you can feel the expansion of your gut instead of your chest. She's so out of her body. She started to panic. And I'm sitting in a circle of all these tables of energy workers and this lady in front of me is like, (gasps) she starts shallow breathing, panicking. And one of the best ways for me that I know of to do that is to start to do math. So I said, what's three times three? And she looked at me like I had three heads. I'm like, what's four plus two? What's 10 times three? It pulled her focus out of her body, back up into her intellect. And that calmed her down. And then I promptly gave her little like, go to yoga, learn to breathe, like something where you're, I'm not pulling you into your body in such an intense way. 
she did admit to me later that there was trauma and trauma survivors have learned to escape their body. They've learned to disassociate, go on vacation while whatever trauma is happening to them. And that's a survival technique. I've seen that with a lot of people who are survivors of sexual or physical abuse, but in general, we're not in our bodies. We don't embody our bodies. And I, I do think the one, one of the shifts in new age metaphysics or new age spirituality that I really detest is the concept that you have to go somewhere else to find peace and you have to go somewhere else to find wisdom and you have to go somewhere else that is up and out of you, which by the way, still keeps us in a hierarchical look at things, right? You have to go above you and beyond because you're not good enough. Fuck that. Yes, you are. You have all the wisdom inside of you. You have all the keys inside of you. You have all the abilities inside of you. We've just been taught for so long that you can't access it. You have to have an intermediary or someone intercede for you, Jesus, thank you. You have it in you. You don't have to wait or wait for someone else to do it, which I refuse to do for people. I'm like, I'm not going to be that for you. Sorry. And that shocks people because they're used to having that. Someone who has all the answers. One of the best teachers I ever had had more questions than answers. And I think that that's brilliant. I don't want to be anyone's guru. My goal is to help you reconnect with yourself. And it just so happens that my way of doing that is through the runes. I want to get into the runes, but I just also want to say that, yes, yes, yes. I'm just, you know, silent clapping to everything that you just said. Get into your body. I have a post-it note of that, you know, right in my work area because it's a constant reminder for me. I, we all overthink, I think, I think, and getting into your body, that's the answer. And I think the Aquarian age is about remembering your wisdom and remembering that you're the teacher. For me personally, I traveled all over everywhere trying to find a guru and a master. You know, I went to India. I spent some time with some gurus up there. I tried so many different paths and I just keep getting very gently smacked on my face with the same message, which is it's not out there. It's in here. It's in here. Yeah. And I think you're right. The best teachers are the ones that have the most questions. And I think that's really the vibe of the Aquarian age. I think you said, I'm not going to be that for you. I can guide you. I can show you some of the ways to your body. You know, like that lady that you worked with who had the panic attack, you told her to go to yoga because you don't want it to be such an abrupt contrast to her everyday life. So she's kind of got to like work up to doing whatever y'all were up to. And yeah. I think there's loads and loads of humans who are in that same boat. And going back to your rune journey. So you had this reading in 2009-ish, mm -hmm. and you felt like you came home, you said. What happened next? Were you like, oh, I got to go buy some runes? Did you already have some? Did you start working with them all the time? Like, how did this unfold? How did you learn how to read them? Tell me that story. After I had my reading with Ingrid, she taught classes. The first one I actually took was on the Celtic wheel. And from there, I just began to take classes with her. I bought a couple of books. There are kind of generic and general concepts, right? Like the runes are yes and alphabet, but the symbol, the letter had much more meaning. It embodies, I believe they're each a being. So it embodies all of these characteristics of the one being. So Feiyu is the first one. Feiyu, basics of it, like spark, 
wealth management. So almost all of the books tell you that whoever's writing the book, their own experiences with it. So there are all these books that have this. Well, started reading those. I did a lot of meditation. The classes she taught were sometimes weeks on weeks of once a week. And you would learn about the runes and you would go home and you would have homework and you would have experiences. I thought I would never learn, quote unquote, right? The, the runes. But I learned later that it's not about learning what the runes mean. It's about developing a relationship with each of them. There are still some of them who were, I don't, they may not like me. They may like just think that I'm not ready or I may be an acquaintance. There are some that are very close to me and that I know quite well. Part of this journey with the runes and for me with other people is also in making the introduction between them and the runes. And then they have to develop their relationship on their own. Like it's not something I can give them. They have to put work into it. You know, you get out of it what you put into it. And I put a lot of time and effort into developing my relationships with them. A couple of them came forward real quick and they're ones that I probably still work with quite a bit. And maybe it's just because our energies jive, you know, like more than say a couple other ones that I don't connect with as deeply, I guess I should say. It takes time. Like we will constantly be developing our relationship. And in a year, I might be really close with another rune at that moment. It's kind of like, I know you through your podcast and I know you through podcasting and what we talk about, but your partner knows you in a completely different way. Your parents know you in a completely different way. Your friends know you in a completely different way. So they know different aspects of you. I really believe that's how it works with the runes as well. Like it depends on what situation I'm in, like if I'm doing a rune casting, if the runes show up together, that could mean something different than them showing up apart or with a different rune. So it's about learning the connection and relationships and listening to those. I think a lot of people, in fact, I've met a few readers who they'll cast runes and they want to tell you exactly what the runes mean. And that's what the book told them. And then that's the end of it. That would be hard for me, but I've been there when I first started reading. That's what I did. And I think it just is allowing the relationships to develop and go beyond what you think they should be, right? It's taken quite a while to develop that. So when I'm doing a reading, there's a room that is Gar. Gar is the diamond shape with an X over it. So it looks like four little X's kind of up together or diamond with an X. And that rune, depending on who you are, what your belief system is, can mean stop, quit, quit asking. You're not meant to know. For me, it never had that connotation. So I actually see it as my connection to the world tree, to the energy, to the, the thing that holds us all. And so I actually open it in a certain way to be able to connect. Well, little did I know that when I opened it to do that, I would start to talk to dead people or deities or energies and feelings and patterns that I would not have normally experienced by just reading the runes. So it ended up being a bigger connection for me. We had a client one day in Blue Antler and she came in and I don't like to give unsolicited readings. I think that's intrusive and not great, but I was just trying to understand what I was feeling and experiencing. Her mother came through. It's weird when it happens because you definitely begin to know when it's not your imagination taking over and when you're connected because there's shit I couldn't come up with. We were talking and I'm like, your mom's favorite flower was gardenia? And she's like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck gardenias smell like. 
but I did at that moment. I just knew. And then we went into a few other things and that helped me sync up with her energy, I guess is maybe a good way to put it, to be able to read her tapestry. I see our lives kind of like a really intricate tapestry where you have If you've ever seen a loom, the big gigantic looms where they have the shuttlecock that runs through and it's a whole bunch of machinery, but you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of threads and that's how our lives are. So our lives are really a giant tapestry that looks hopefully really beautiful, but they're made up of all these little threads that are individual. So me being able to sync up with her tapestry, so to speak, gave me an ability to connect with things that she was connected to. It can be even as random as like, I was talking to a lady one day and all of a sudden this giant tiger jumped over her shoulder and came at me. And I'm like, now I'm fucking making shit up. I'm like, did I have mushrooms today? Like, am I drunk? What's happening? And so what I've learned is all I can do is say, this is what I'm experiencing. It might mean something to you, which I always know that it does pretty much nowadays, but I just had a giant tiger jump over your shoulder. And she goes, I had a cat named tiger that died and it would sit on my shoulder and it would protect me. And I was like, I'll take it. Because all I'm doing is describing the experience I'm having because it's your message. It's your experience. It's meant for you. I don't have your whole lifetime of information to be able to place it into context. And then right after that, her father came through. I smelled cherry tobacco and she's like, he smoked that shit. And we tried to get him to do something better, but he wouldn't. That was what he did. And so all of these experiences are because of my connection to the runes and my connection to the world tree and and the access and all of that. But it's been an amazing thing that has opened up so much more of me. You said when you were talking about the one rune, I don't remember its name. You said that when you opened it, that allowed you to speak to the dead. What does it mean to open it? Okay. It's a diamond shape with an X over it. So it kind of looks like a web, right? I would take each of the arms of the X and move them, like twist them so that actually was a diamond on top of a diamond. And that seemed to be my physical representation for actually connecting to the other side. That's how I would open it. But interestingly enough, a very good friend of mine gave me Reiki the other day and I had each of those gar runes on my ways of knowing. So my intellect, emotion, instinct, I had energetically placed those on there so I could have access to and to open and close those when I needed to. And my emotional one actually burst open in a completely different way than I've ever seen the other day. So it's constantly evolving. Like I had never seen it do that before. And the way it did it, I'm now exploring what that looks like and what that means. Opening it now is in two different ways. And and I'm not quite sure what the new way does specifically, but I will find out because I will not be able to not find out now that it's open. It's like calibrating your runes, right? Like, I don't know if you use that term, but it's like, oh, that deck's not calibrated yet. You know, it's not connected to my body and my feeling. And you're taught in many of these lineages that the best tool and magic is your mind. It's you. Yeah. It's not the runes. It's not the tarot. Those are like sub tools, I think, to Mm -hmm. sort of aid in the process. Right. And I think I like the way that you use the word open it. It's almost like your mind and the rune work together to like unlock a portal. I kind of see it that way. Can we talk about that tree for a second? Would you be able to just kind of give a little bit more context to this tree? Yeah. And the Nornir? 
Nor near. Nor near. Yes, that'd be great. So in the cosmology, there were two worlds, Niflheim and Muspelheim. Niflheim is a world of uh, mist and ice. Muspelheim is a world of fire. They existed in Ganunga Gap, which is a giant void. They came close enough to each other that the fire began to melt the ice. In melting the ice and the mist, beings were revealed. And that's kind of how we started with beings in the worlds, right? Kind of. So the ice was melted. You now have Emir, who is a giant who really couldn't move. Beings came out of him from his armpits. It's a whole story, right? Disney <laughs> did not make a movie of that, I'm sure. Yet, <laughs> yet. Wait, let me pause you real quick. What text is this coming from? These are in the sagas and the eddas. This is our creation story around the Norse cosmology. Got it. Yep. So you end up with another being that shows up, right? Like this is where it becomes very much like, oh, how do we live the word of the text instead of the spirit of it, right? So this being appears. And anyway, we end up getting Odin, Villian, Bay, right? They're three sons who are now part of the Asir, which are not the giants, but they come from giants. They take Ymir and they take his body apart. Like they make his brains, the clouds in the sky, they make his bones, you know, the mountains, they make his blood, the ocean. They also organize the tree and create it where you now have the nine worlds. So you have Asgard is the world of the Asir. Midgard would be, some people say it's us. Some people say it's like a shifted version of earth or middle earth. Helheim, which is the place where the dead go. You have Vanaheim, which is a place for the gods who are very earthy. So you have all these different worlds that are organized around this tree. And the tree is the thing that holds it all together. So when I say connecting to the tree, I connect to the tree, which then connects me to all of the nine worlds within the Norse cosmology, which then basically encompasses like elves, dwarves, and I'm sounding woo-woo, the, the dead. It allows me to connect to all of those places. The gods can't even change what the Nornir put into action. So they still have consequences or results of their actions and things like that. But the Nornir are the ones who tend to weaving our tapestries. So they know when your thread ends, they weave things together. And like I said before, they're kind of connected or likened to the fates. However, when we talk about the fates, in my experience, it's usually like, it's something that's out of our hands. But like I said earlier, like with the Nornir, it's that which must be is because of what we're doing now, what we've done. You can't harvest corn when you planted barley again. I've had trouble in the past with fates because of that idea that it's set in stone. But I think when you look at it that other way, where it's like, well, there's a possibility it could be the other way, but it's really up to you. We're just yep. here sort of showing you based off of your pattern of behavior at this point and in the past, what seems reasonable, I guess, for your future at this time. One thing you said about the nine worlds, a guru and a master that I spent time with in India, he goes into these deeper levels of meditation to where he can just read your mind. I mean, it's very disconcerting actually, or it was yeah. for me at the time when I met him. And I think it's interesting that he has found in his thousands of hours of meditation, and he's one of those who stayed in a cave in the middle of nowhere in the mountains of Rishikesh with a loincloth and nothing yeah. for like years, that kind of meditation. And wow. I think it's so interesting that he found nine, nine bodies and that nine bodies, nine worlds. He's thinking of these different areas that you go to yeah. during meditation. And 
sort of like that lady who had a panic attack because she wasn't in her body. It's like, that's like step one. You know, once you get into your body, then there's these other areas that you can go to. You're not ready for that energy yet. So you sort of get it little by little. So you don't hopefully have like a psychotic break or something. Yes. Like if I were to experience all these bodies or even what you experience. I'm not, I don't traverse in those realms often enough for it to feel comfortable for me. I would be freaked out probably. Yeah. 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 This book, the book of runes by Ralph H. Bloom, you know, Uh I'm sure. Yeah. Uh I have this because this is what my new age woo mom had. And so I was like, well, that's the one, I guess. Tell me what you think about this book though. So I will tell you that I have never read that book. Really? Yep. This is the um, only one that I even know about. That book kind of started it all. And the one thing that we used to talk about a lot when I worked with Ingrid was that, let me put it this way, like sexuality, right? Is on a spectrum. I don't think you're one or the other. I think you're somewhere on the spectrum. I'm very Kinsian in that, in my look on that. So the runes are the same way. A lot of times the books, they either make them which makes me crazy because it's a binary system, right? Good or bad. Oh, that's mm-hmm. a bad rune. That's a good rune. Well, no, it can still be chaos, but it can be destruction or deconstruction, right? So I think that a lot of the books, and I think that book is specifically tended to leave out that aspect of it. The one thing that he did have is he came up with the blank rune. So I think that that's where actually Gar would have come into play, but Gar is not in that because I believe that book is only the Elder Futhark. So there's 24. The ones I work with are the Anglo-Saxon and there are 33. So a little bit of the history, like the Elder Futhark would have been like, I don't know, year zero. And then after that would have been pared down to like the younger Futhark. And the Anglo-Saxon would have actually grew to 33 from the original 24. And I think that just happened really over time of taking them from one place to another. And then they evolved within that context of that culture, that community. If not this book, what book would you recommend? I do love Ingrid. She wrote a book that were the 33 room poems and each poem was 33 words. Very beautiful. She picked out the cowhide that it was bound in, picked out the paper that it was printed on. It was old fashioned printed. And then right after that, she came out with a book called The Runes Revealed, An Unfamiliar Journey. And that's where she goes into each of the runes. But again, there are a ton of questions that lead you through your experience of getting to know that rune in particular. I love that book. It's a great book. I like that it's written by a woman as well, because so many of these books are written by men, Mm -hmm. predominantly white men. No offense. None taken. It's nice to hear a woman's perspective on magic in general, I think, and in any industry really yeah. <laughs> just yeah. any no, absolutely would love to hear more females so that's great i'm definitely gonna stalk ingrid when we're done here she's amazing yeah i want to know if there's anything specifically about runes that you'd like to touch on before we end and if there's any advice that you have for people who are just starting out with the runes i would say that I've had a couple of experiences where people underestimate the power and like someone's house almost got burned down. Like he used a rune of fire to send off 
like a message into the ether. <laughs> I don't remember where he was sending it, but he used the rune Korth. And Korth is a, actually a rune of the, a death rune, but it's the rune <laughs> of the funeral pyre. So okay. it's quick, right? And it's all about fire. It's not like being buried in the ground, which takes a long time to decompose. Well, he put that rune on it. And the next morning he woke up and he's like, what's that smell? Well, he got into his altar room and everything was covered in soot. And the plate that the spell was on was shattered. And underneath that, the plate that was holding that had burned a circle into the wood flooring. He did not mess with them after that. I'm working on a class right now where I'm creating a bind rune. So I'm layering runes on top of each other. It's kind of like, I don't know, spell work, right? This is an easy way to put it. So I'm layering the runes on top of each other to create an intention so that they'll work together. Well, my intention is that you get to know yourself through your three ways of knowing. Part of that is to kind of live an unbridled, unfiltered way of living that's more true to who you are. I have three friends that I sent it to. And I said, will you please just with a pen, don't tattoo it on you, just write it on you. And I would like to know your feelings and your experiences. Well, two of them were fine. The other one called me, said, why is it that every fucking time I deal with the fucking runes, my life fucking falls apart? And then he went on to tell me like what was going on. I'm like, you're getting the opportunity to find and live from yourself and not from someone else's point of view. And that opened up a whole opportunity for him to do that. They will help you filter out the bullshit and the things that you don't need or want. So just be prepared for change and to have things brought about that you might not think were holding you back. Yeah, they're very powerful in that respect. My life force and my life giving force is blood. So I have no problem offering blood offerings to them. That is not for everyone. So unless you're very serious about creating a relationship with them, don't do it. There's a respect and a seriousness around them that I would say just is a little bit more contractually heavy. Before I said that the mind is the most important tool for a witch or a magic practitioner. And these other tools are sort of sub tools that go along with the mind. But the more you talk about the runes now, the more I think that actually there's probably already some collective energy in these divination tools. One of my very good friends told me, if you're thinking about something and your mind says, I just can't figure it out, trust it. Move that thought and move that problem into one of your other ways of knowing into your emotional or into your instinctual, those centers will be able to figure it out. Whereas your brain can't Mm -hmm. trust it when it tells you it can't, you can manifest out of any of those ways of knowing we formulate here in, in our instinct, we find the center of it, the core of it, like what we really want out of it. We formulate a little bit of a plan here, not too much. I try, but it's our instinct and our emotion that actually fuel the manifesting, not the brain. And with the tools, there are times when I don't have my runes, but I'll pick up nine, back to nine, right? Mm -hmm. Nine twigs about the same size, and I'll drop them on the ground and see what rune shapes show up. So I can read the runes without even having a set of runes with me. You're basically saying, I think, that it's not necessarily the mind that's the the most important or powerful tool. It's Mm -hmm. these other areas, the instinctual, the emotional, and you kind of dance with these divination tools. 
But what I'm sort of getting at, and I think you know this, but I didn't explain it very well, is that those tools themselves through collective consciousness and centuries have their own archetype vibrations. And so you're, like you said, when you're giving an offering, a blood offering, you're creating a little bit of a contract with them. These two energies, opening yourself up to that. And that's something you should take seriously. Yeah. Am I getting that? Okay. Yes. I want the listeners to understand that, that when you start using these tools, that there is that relationship. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that is an obstacle in our evolution is thinking that we're already at the top of the list. Booyah. Yeah. Yeah. This is just side note. I just had somebody on this podcast tell me about giants. They're on some radio show or something. And he told him about that he was in Afghanistan or Iraq and there is like legitimately giants. I researched it and there's actually a number of people talking about this. And I know you had brought up giants earlier. Do you believe in these other things in a physical manifestation on earth? Or do you think that it's kind of all something that is rolling around in our imaginations and in the other realms that we access through intuition? I believe that we have access to those things when we need them and when we're able to actually make an equal exchange for them. For instance, uh, a couple of years ago, God, it was probably a hundred years ago now, but I can never remember. I was very sick and I asked Mengloth, who's actually the giantess over medicine, healing, all that kind of stuff to help me. And she showed me being wrapped in a yellow whirlwind. So that's been absolutely healing for me. Do I think she can manifest in this realm in our physical realm i think anything is possible i don't think they live here specifically but i think that just like i can journey to them they can journey to us not that this is the same topic but i absolutely fucking believe in bigfoot i think whether or not they shift in through dimensions or whether they live here and they're just you know like the world champion of hide and seek i think that there's a (laughs) lot that we don't get and we don't understand and to think that we understand it all is just very sad Yeah. And to bring it back to like Disney and capitalism, our framework within the propaganda machine of what we can believe is possible is so narrow. Many of us can't even like imagine this thing happening. And so just because we can't imagine it doesn't mean that it doesn't. And I think that's something I try to remind myself like, yeah, sure. Anything's possible. Like I'm not going to say absolutely about any of those things that they, they don't exist. I like that you say anything's possible. I love Ancient Aliens on the History Channel because what that does for me, whether or not I believe it, it actually pushes my bounds of what I think is possible. And that is what I need. I don't need to believe in Ancient Aliens although I probably do, but I just need to push my belief system. One of the things that my tattoos do for people, my facial ones especially, it pushes them and they feel something or they experience something that's uncomfortable and they don't know what to do with it. That's not why I got them. But I think that's one of the things that happens with people. Mm -hmm. They don't know what to do with it and it pushes them a little bit. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Anything that forces us to grow or or inspires us to grow. I mean, I have hairy legs and I am Turkish, so they're not like blonde, cutesy hairy legs. And so when I was younger, I just, you know, I didn't 
not shave because I wanted to freak people out or I wanted to push their boundaries or wanted them to think differently, but that's what happened. So I did it because I didn't, it took too long, you know, it just (laughs) takes too long. So I think I understand that, you know, you do something because it feels right for you and anything that inspires people to to sort of think outside of the box or, or maybe makes them uncomfortable for a minute first, because yeah, like watching the ancient alien shit that scares me for a beat sometimes. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, well, this is a very humbling experience. It's reminding me that, like you said before, I'm not at the top here. There's other stuff I just can't wrap my head around. Yeah. I think being you is what inspires other people. Being me is what inspires other people. It can inspire hate and disgust, but for the most part, it inspires people to just let go and be themselves Totally. or try and figure out what that is. Yeah. So I always ask this last question to everyone, you know, it's coming because I told you about in the preliminary call, what's the most profound paranormal, supernatural woo experience that you've ever, ever had? I've been thinking about that. Sometimes all this shit is just normal day-to-day stuff for me. True, Um, true. Good point. I will say that probably the craziest fucking experience I've ever had, I was preparing to go to Ireland. I had a shamanic experience with one of my friends asking her, okay, what do I need to do to prepare? I felt like I'm gathering some tools because whenever I go there, I love Ireland. But whenever I go, I always know that I'm going to be doing some energetic stuff, some physical stuff, some woo-woo stuff, like all this stuff, right? So one of the things that had happened prior to me going was had some realizations about a part of me that was connected to Merlin and to kind of the switch into patriarchy that came with Christianity, right? Making that switch allowed us to do some things that were really positive and now it's time to change them. Let me put it that way. It pushed all the fae back into the mist, right? They all kind of disappeared. We now live in this very Christian world. So part of what I had to do was to go back to the fae. You are going to love this shit. It is so woo woo. I love it. I'm so excited. Oh, go back to the Fae and apologize for betraying them because they see in me that connection that was still there, right? To go actually bring the serpent eggs back. It's an interesting energetic thing I had to do, but also to apologize. Now, she said to me, not everyone is going to be very accepting of you coming back. And some of them might be, you know, gunning for you. Freaked me out a little bit because I'm like, okay, the Fae are not to be fucked with, right? Like we don't fuck with them. And I'm going to the far west of Ireland. I'm going to a small town called Roundstone near Clifton. In between Clifton and Roundstone, there is a giant bog. It's um, very wet. It's all kind of grassy. There are a whole bunch of lakes. There are some rolling hills. And I went at a time of year when I could go at 930 at night and it's still daylight. It's still light outside. I had been traveling this road and I'm like, I'm going to come back here tonight and this will be amazing. So I came back, I parked, I climbed up this small hill and I'm standing on top of this hill overlooking this beautiful bog and this lake. And I suddenly feel like I'm not alone. And that makes me a little nervous. Off in the distance in the West, I see two ravens and they're coming at me, but they're moving in circles. So they come toward me and they circle back away from me and then they come closer and closer. 
Odin is connected to two ravens, right? He has two ravens. That is not who this was. The Morrigan, or the Morrigan, is connected to ravens as well in Irish Celtic cosmology. So I'm starting to freak out, right? I'm getting a little nervous. I'm not sure if they're warning me or if they're welcoming me. And to be fucking honest, I didn't stick around to find out. I'm like, I feel like I'm not supposed to be here. I feel like I'm actually in a space that is very liminal and that I'm vulnerable. And I didn't like that. So I went back to the road. I texted my friend and um, I said, can you just check in? Because she works with the Fae. I'm like, can you just check in and see kind of what the fuck is happening? Her immediate response was, I wouldn't go anywhere that's very liminal that you might not come back. And I didn't tell her where I was. I didn't tell her anything that was happening. I just said, can you tell me what's happening? And that's what she said. She goes, like, stick to the roads. Don't go anywhere where you might not come back. I'm like, okay. So I walk back up on the hill. <laughs> and by this time they had gone away. I walked back up on the hill. They came back. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm out. So this is real. <laughs> it's all real. Whoever's welcoming me, I don't know, but I'm here to offer myself, say, I'm sorry for what happened. I'm sorry for the betrayal. Let's bring everyone back out of the mist kind of thing. Like it's time to change. We've gotten what we needed to out of patriarchy probably a long time ago and just didn't change it. But now it's time to change it back. Went home. The next day I was in the shower. I'm showering. And I'm like, what's that? I felt something like just below my waist. And I just kind of with my fingernail, picked at it and pulled it out. And I looked at it and it was a tick. I live in sagebrush land. I've played in sagebrush. I've played in the forest. I've never, ever had a tick in my entire life until I went to Ireland. And I don't know how it got in underneath my pants, underneath my belt loop, but I pretty much know that it wasn't like, oh, hey, here's your welcome gift. It was, uh, here you go. That coupled with the ravens on the hill solidified to me that it was and is absolutely possible to walk back and forth and that there are places on this earth that are liminal and that are portals where we are able to commune with them without doing it astrally or psychically. That shifted everything for me. Wow, that's fascinating. My mind is like, all the things you just said, the tick. Yeah. And the, the circling of the ravens, though, is just, I mean, for the listeners to really like wrap your head around that, like, I mean, they're just circling around like in a little pattern towards yeah. you and then back and then towards you and back. Yep. They circled the hill I was on. I went down the hill. They went away, went up the hill. They came back. Yeah. I, I talk about this a lot with guests, like how the mind can so easily be like, ah, that was nothing, you know, or you could just be like, well, it was a coincidence. And it's really, I think, more important to listen to yourself and to trust yourself and trust what you're seeing and feeling and experiencing with your senses and know that, no, that was really something magic that you don't have a finger on and maybe you need to respect. Absolutely. I think from the very get-go, you're taught to doubt yourself. Doubt is a very big obstacle for us, which is why I went back up the hill to see if they would come back. I tested my theory and it's okay to test your theories. It's okay to test your experience because kind of in psychic 101, psychics 101, there's concepts where if it's a yes, right, you can even do it with a pendulum. It'll mm -hmm. move a certain way, but more of using your body as your pendulum. In the beginning, when I would get a very affirmative confirmation, I would get tinglys up my spine, up my head. So my question was then, okay, I'm feeling that. I would like you, if your spirit guides, whatever it is that's doing it, right? Back away. So it stops. And then if the answer is yes, come back in. 
And if it starts up again, then I would know it was it's confirmation. It's okay to ask for confirmation. It's okay to ask for a repeat answer. Yeah, it's okay to be a skeptical, magical practitioner, like a healthy dose, not the dose that we're taught to have, which is like so far that we don't even trust ourselves at all. Mine is the arms. That's where I mm-hmm. get the tingles. And I got yeah. it as you were telling the story. So, and I actually cool. find that that's like a cool indicator for me. Listeners, you should know this. When I listen to people on this podcast, if I get the tingles, I know that they're telling me something that was like a really true experience because it's like, yeah. I'm vibrating with them because they're recalling it. And if yeah. I don't, I'm like, well, maybe you kind of like exaggerated that one or maybe not, you know, but that for me is like something that I've again, like calibrated to know that that's something that I should pay attention to. So I think that's how your body works when you allow it to, you know what I mean? Like you listen to that. That's amazing. This is what happens in reading. Sometimes I will feel how people get connected to like, I'm like, so do you feel like someone's tapping you on your shoulder? And they're like, no, (laughs) I mean, yes. I'm like, okay. So (laughs) Don't ignore Uh. (laughs) that. Quit ignoring that. Like that's your guide or your grandma or whoever telling you like, Hey, pay attention to what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. Just listen to it. You don't have to go searching for the woo. You are the woo. Oh, there it is. Episode over. (laughs) (laughs) That's the quote of the year. You don't have to go searching for the woo. You are the woo. Can I trademark that? I feel like at the very least, I need a t-shirt, a hat. I don't know. It's true though, right? I mentioned this in the episode, but it's worth mentioning again. In my coven, we were taught that a witch's most powerful tool is her mind, which, if relaxed and tamed, becomes your most powerful ally and tool. For instance, in the example of divination, let's say, If you're able to discipline your mind to remove doubt about the runes being magic, then that belief, coupled with the intrinsic energy of the runes themselves, reveals the magic. The magic was already there. The woo was already you. You just had to tune into it. That's why meditation and relaxation techniques are emphasized in nearly every spiritual tradition. You got to be relaxed and focused so you can experience the magic. Until I was editing this episode, I had forgotten that in 2019, I got a reading from an incredible hoodoo practitioner. And one of the things that she told me was that I need to work with the runes and that my ancestors would stop blowing up my shit as soon as I allowed myself to chill out. Those were her words. I made a note in my phone. So there it is again, this idea that I needed to be relaxed to appropriately connect with these mysterious divination tools and my magic self. What do you think about them? Do you feel drawn to investigate them further? I used to have this post-it note. I can't remember exactly what it said. Oh, here it is right here. No worry. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm sitting in the closet, which sounds weird, but I've turned it into a little sound studio. And I was like, I can't remember what this post-it note said. And I just looked to my left and there it is just hidden under another post-it note. And it's, and what I was going to tell you is that I read somewhere in some spiritual text that there are two symptoms of being in alignment, right? Vibrationally, being on the right path, however you want to say it. And one is you don't worry. You've lost the need to worry. And two is increased coincidences or synchronicities. And 
It's so funny that it's right there. I keep experiencing so many synchronicities from doing this project. And I wonder if you as the listener are experiencing any. When one person follows their curiosity, it gives permission to other people to also follow their curiosity. Ken is following his curiosity and look where it's led him. (laughs) Magical places also scary liminal spaces like in Ireland. That's a crazy experience that he had. But do you find that you want to investigate the runes more or I don't know, do you find yourself opening up and asking more questions? That curiosity is something that's not encouraged by our culture, by our world at this current time. And I think it's really magical when we allow that to happen. So in that spirit, I've definitely added Ingrid Kincaid's book, The Runes Revealed, to my cart. And I'm looking forward to checking out more of Ken's work. I'm also going to book a rune reading with him. I'll let you know how it goes. You can book one too at runewalker.com. He offers two kinds of readings and also a private course called Initiation Runes of Northern Europe. And if you're in the Tula, Utah area, definitely check out Ken's spiritual pagan woo store called Blue Antler. And as always, links to all of that will be in the show notes for this episode. You know the drill. If you have any questions or stories or synchronicities that you'd like to share, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. I would love to hear about them. Bottom line is, you are the woo. That's it. The end. Bye. Thank you for following the Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow the Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the Order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a Woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 